set the tone. Please record your podcast. When you are finished, let the fans download on Spotify and listen to the latest episode. Welcome to episode 27. This is the Set the Tone podcast. Apparently, some of you have missed me. I have been off the radar for, let's say, about two months. That's okay, but back by popular demand, this show is fueled by coffee, sponsored by Cleveland Fishing Co. Go check them out, clevelandfishingco.com for all of your fishing needs. If you can't fish land, you can rep the land. Go do it. What the hell? I had my publicist coming to me saying, there are people who want to know when Seth the Tone is coming back. Men and women. This show is big across North America. It's big across the world. I have numbers that prove it. Give the people what they want, and that's what we're going to damn well do on this 27th glorious episode. You could follow along on Twitter at setthetone underscore pod. Again, that is at setthetone underscore pod. Tweet at me. Give me ideas if you want to fuel this show with more than just coffee. I'll take your opinion. Give a rat's ass. I might throw it in the mix every now and then. But we're going to have some fun. A beautiful Saturday edition, and I'll kick it off the top. For me, this is like a holiday. Why is it a holiday, you ask? Well, the Whitney Stakes will run from Saratoga in New York. And not the fact that it's just the Whitney, one of the premier summer races of the season, but it's the fact that life is good, a horse that I was able to bet in his debut race is running. And the question that I have for the casual viewer of maybe horse racing, and if they have the opportunity to listen or watch this race uh, that'll be broadcast later on this evening, post time, running at, and I'll tell you all here, 543 Eastern Standard. What I'd love to know, so... I have an infatuation with this Life is Good horse. Again, had bet him as a two-year-old when he broke uh, his maiden at Del Mar all the way back in November of 2020. He then ran through Santa Anita, was on his way to the Kentucky Derby Trail, which I had a futures ticket on to run the Derby in 2021, and that did not happen. Why? He was scratched from the race uh, due to an illness. Took some time to come back, but boy, did he come back in big fashion. Now, lost a seven furlong race in a stakes. I believe that was a loss to Nixco, which you come back off of months and months of a layoff. That's not a bad you know, race to lose. But from there on, life is good has been absolutely phenomenal. Went over to Dubai uh, to run in the Dubai World Cup on grass and finish up with a fourth place finish. Not a big deal, right? But outside of that, this horse runs on dirt and is impeccable. There are horses, and much like I think we see with athletes, there are athletes who are good and there are horses who are good. But then there are ones who are almost effortless when they're at their best. And I feel that I can see that because I watch horse racing on a weekly basis and understand what a good horse looks like. But I am absolutely marveled, if you can't tell, that I'm spending two and a half minutes talking about one horse that you might never have heard of in your life. That who I pray to God, I get to watch him at the Breeders' Cup Classic this November from Keeneland, that 
he's in good health, in good form, and can run his race. And there's a futures pool for that now. Opened up at seven to two, so you can get a three and a half times your investment on life is good if you put down on that. Again, I digress. I uh, the question that I have for the casual viewer: If life is good puts on the performance that I think he's going to, do you, the casual viewer, see a marvelous horse in front of your eyes, or do you just see a horse that wins a random race? And I think in the advent of now with sports betting throughout America as it's becoming more and more widely accepted and more and more widely popular, you look at the value that can be presented in horse racing, and I've talked about this time and time again on this program, is the value is far greater in horse racing sheer to sheer numbers game, right? More horses run in a race, the higher the odds, but... I feel that the way you can handicap and understand, you can get some more bang for your buck, even if you're just placing a simple win bet on horse racing. And the struggle is more of a greater issue. There's no one sanctioning body of horse racing that kind of pushes this to cater to a younger demographic, market itself to a younger demographic. And that's what's tough, right? Me as a 28-year-old sitting behind this microphone right now, I'm a minority in what I'm talking about. Most likely anyone listening to the hundreds, maybe close to thousands of you that listen to this program, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Probably don't care about what I'm talking about. But here you are still listening. That's your problem, not mine. That's okay. I'd just be curious. So if you listen to this program today on Saturday, the day it's released, or go back and watch, right? You're listening to this after the fact. You can probably go on YouTube and watch the Whitney Stakes. They'll most likely post the race, and you'll follow along on the Twitter account. Again, a shameless plug, at SethyTone underscore pod. I will damn well let you know if life is good wins this race. Currently a 6-5 to five morning line favorite, right? So the fact that I'm talking about a horse that is as talented as he is and he's a six to five morning line favorite in a six horse field that's going to be plus money coming your way if we put that into money line perspective uh, if this were sports betting so that's enough on the horse racing side the other news and notes uh, we're going to have to be moving my studio. We're moving in. The show's getting so popular, I'm moving into a new studio, a bigger studio. So we'll see how that factors in. I would love it to be ready by football season, and I guess that's a month away. That's not going to happen. But what's going to be great about this new studio is that it'll be very man cave-esque. The acoustics might be better. Might give me a reason to go pick up and learn how to play a guitar. So what have I done while I was away? I went to concerts. Uh, had the chance to see Jackson Brown in Richmond, Virginia. Highly, highly, highly recommended. And 28 going on 82, that was more my speed. The concert started at 7.30 p.m. Me and a lot of geriatrics, no offense. Concert ended at 10.30 Three hours of a 71-year-old Jackson Brown jamming 
with his band. Had an absolute blast of a time. Turn around, go to Columbus, Ohio to see Cody Jinx at the Buckeye Country Superfest. And I'd say the real winner of that show, the Zach Bryan kid, who is up and coming uh, in the more so country scene. More of a red dirt route is what I would say. And dude absolutely knocked it out of the park. You have the chance to go see Zach Bryan in your town. I recommend it. My golf game, my lousy golf game. I can't say it's been worked on, but it's been played. Getting more and more comfortable. And I think it's more and more comfortable by the fact that I'm coming to terms with being a lousy golfer. But we're getting to it. We're getting there. Um, so I'd say my golf game would come in peak form by the time October, mid-October hits, right? Just in time when the weather turns here in beautiful Northeast Ohio. That's been the personal side of things. Also, I have been in on this Derek Jeter documentary, The Captain, on ESPN. The first episode debuted after Julio Rodriguez in the home run derby just won over a crowd. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Julio after we'll get into this baseball point and maybe how if you listen to me and uh, you wanted to make money by betting Sandy Alcantara to win the National League Cy Young at, I believe, plus 2,200, right? So 22 to 1 odds. I don't know if anyone else gave out that pick, but I sure as shit did. Do I have a bookie? No. Did I place that bet? No, because it's not up and running in Ohio yet. I got rid of my bookie. I'm going to be honest. Dude offered shitty odds, so I dropped it. Focus solely on horse racing. But the fact that we're going to come back here in January 1, 2023 in Ohio, we'll be back with a vengeance. I'll give you some losing picks. But as far as futures go, Sandy Alcantara was amazing. The point at hand, as I get sidetracked like a fish with a three-second attention span, is the Derek Jeter documentary on ESPN, the captain, which mirrors sort of the Tom Brady, man in the arena documentary it wanted to feature. And my entire life, and still to this day, and this is someone who grew up a Yankee fan, still I'm a Yankee fan, Derek Jeter was never my favorite Yankee. Which is is funny. I've always kind of marched to the beat of my own drum and wanted to enjoy someone differently. And I think that's because Derek Jeter was so popular. But now, again, as a fan of the team, still love Derek Jeter. Grew up with a lot of people who were not fans of the Yankees and not fans of Derek Jeter telling me he is overrated. Telling me he is overrated to this day. And I have a hard time digesting that. And the reason for that is, is because I never viewed or really saw Derek Jeter do anything wrong in a big spot that cost the Yankees an opportunity. Go and look at his postseason numbers, go back and watch postseason games, and you'll see he was the player that you wanted him to be. Now, where I think the overrated argument comes from is the fact that there are Yankee fans out there, and someone who experienced it, they treat Derek Jeter as if he was God's gift to baseball. And I think that has rubbed fans the wrong way. And what this documentary has shown me 
through five episodes this far. I'll let you make the argument that Derek Jeter's overrated because I'm not really sure what you're rating him against. Is he Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig? No, he's not. You do take steroids out of the question. I think you make a really, really good argument that he is the best shortstop of all time because his offensive numbers put him there. But that's not really the argument I'm trying to make. The argument I'm trying to make is if you want to say he's overrated, I will say this. Derek Jeter is underappreciated. To the baseball fan, to the sports fan, Derek Jeter is underappreciated. And what I mean by that, watching this documentary here, is he proves to be a consummate professional. Everything I think that most humans hold in a core value, work ethic, desire, the will to win, Derek Jeter provided that as a baseball player. And for that reason, I feel that it should garner more notoriety, garner more attention, that he is what we want him to be. I mean, the way we viewed Tiger Woods before he had the entire personal saga and meltdown, we credited him with those exact attributes. And we saw how widely popular he was. Now, we saw how widely popular Derek Jeter was, but no one out there is calling Tiger Woods overrated in the grand scheme of golf. People will do that with Derek Jeter and baseball. And I just don't think that's fair. I do like that we've seen Derek Jeter open up a little bit more, right? For him to have writers to this day be featured in the documentary, make comments, and he drops a, who the fuck are you? Why would I believe that? That's been fun. I do enjoy seeing uh, the side with his wife a little bit more because he was so guarded personally. Just as someone who's a fan and who I I appreciated Derek Jeter through his entire career. I appreciated him after his career. But again, in these conversations that I've had just with general sports fans listening to him called overrated and watching the vitriol that he gets on social media still, I, I truly believe that people don't grasp how enjoyable it is to have a player like that. And it does come from a rooted jealousy. I get that the Yankees are a very hateable franchise. George Steinbrenner put that target on his back, but he also, or on their back, but he also welcomed it. And the Yankees welcomed it. And I think it takes a very special athlete to welcome that. Derek Jeter did. I don't want to say he welcomed the hate, but he welcomed the pressure. And time and time again, he rose to the occasion in those spots. I do like in the most recent episodes of the documentary, they highlighted some defensive struggles that he had because that's the one thing analytically, if you listen to the sabermetric folks, they'll tell you he was a bad shortstop defensively. By your sabermetric numbers, sure. But here's an argument that I like. Did you ever see Derek Jeter in a big spot? Did you ever see his defense cost the Yankees a game? Are we out there saying Derek Jeter's defense is the reason they do not have an extra ring on their finger? Maybe you point back to 2001 with Mariano Rivera's errant Game 7 throw in the ninth inning where Derek Jeter's playing on a bum ankle. Maybe that's an argument that you make. 
but again, that's more physical limitation rather than a defensive limitation on skill. It's October, you're playing hurt. So I'm not going to hold that against them. I just, again, going back to it, I hope that people get to enjoy what Derek Jeter was as a player, as a person. I mean, I, I think he's a very likable figure. And I don't know how many people have watched this because I think there's going to be a great deal of people who see a Derek Jeter documentary, a seven-part one at that, and they just dismiss it simply because it's Derek Jeter and the Yankees. Why should I give a rat's ass about it? That's what I almost feel like the casual sports fan, that's how they view it. You might get the diehard baseball fan in on this. You'll get the Yankees fan in on this. And... I don't know if there could have been a better job marketing this documentary to... I mean, they go into the A-Rod saga a little bit, which I was excited to hear about. And I think what the one the takeaway of the A-Rod saga is really it just more so relates to Derek Jeter as a closed-off person. I mean, once he shuts you down, he shuts you down, and that's all there is to it. So for... A great deal of A-Rod's career in New York. The focus was on winning for Derek Jeter. But it was more of a one-way street. Maybe A-Rod trying to get himself in. So it's not a Derek Jeter issue because he just didn't... Much like he didn't give you anything in the media, he didn't give anything to A-Rod to let him in. So the drama, the quote-unquote drama that we perceived that was there, may not have been there, if that makes sense. Sure, there was friction... But it wasn't like there was drama within the locker room every single day. It was more so very professional, very transactional. Derek Jeter treated that relationship like a business. The irony of that is they go over a few contract negotiation scenario where he takes things personally and didn't like that that part was treated like a business. But it's almost as if he treats the personal side of his life like a business as well. So if you're going to poke a hole in Derek Jeter, flaw maybe personally, professionally, right there it is. You can't have it both ways. And it almost seems like he did to a degree. But again, that's just the beauty about learning of someone a little bit as well. I said episode one debuted after the Home Run Derby where... I have talked about Julio Rodriguez on this show. I have tweeted about Julio Rodriguez, Seattle Mariner center fielder, and said he is in your town. He's must-see baseball. He's must-see TV. And the kid freaking backed it up in L.A., dropping 81 home runs only to lose only to lose to Juan Soto in the finals. Juan Soto, your San Diego Padre legend, as you have it now. Um, But Julio Rodriguez has all but locked up Rookie of the Year in the American League. He is on the precipice of getting the Seattle Mariners to end a postseason drought, one that has gone on since 2001 when the Yankees eliminated them from the ALCS in, I believe, five games. Seattle is hungry to get back to the postseason. They bring in Luis Castillo, who had a good showing in New York. 
And here's what's funny is, is if we preview. So I had said the Yankees would win the division. I had told you, maybe I said Toronto. See, now I, the envelope that I had with everything written down with my Judge MVP prediction, my Cole Cy Young prediction, my Nick Castellanos MVP prediction, which we don't need to talk about. Now, listen, the Alcantara Cy Young prediction will make you all happy. That's one that you can cash on. Same thing with the Judge, who's going to chase down Roger Maris's record, who could also chase down the Sosa McGuire Bonds records of single season home runs with the way things are going. And that's going to be fun to watch and kind of give baseball a little bit of juice as we carry along through the 2022 dog days of summer, which will be August and then into September when the postseason race picks back up. But I had given you Seattle and Houston in a tiebreaker. Houston's running away with the division and they are hands down, in my opinion, the best team in baseball. Their rotation is good. They find hits in a lot of ways. They wallop Cleveland last night, 9-3. Trey Mancini with a couple of pokes over the wall. And I hate, I absolutely hate Baltimore giving up on a season. To clear $2.5 million off the books, they get rid of Trey Mancini. Then they turn around and get rid of Jorge Lopez, their closer as well. A team who is a game over 500. And this is what the MLB had tried to do by adding an additional postseason team. Right, that team who's just over 500, they're still in the mix, and they might be a year ahead of schedule as it pertains to prospects. Let's see them go for it. Let's see Baltimore hang on to their assets, Trey Mancini being one, Lopez being another, and try and push for a postseason. And the Orioles did not do that. And what they get for Mancini and Lopez is not a lot. It's a ham and cheese sandwich and a bag of baseballs when it boils down to it. And to me, that's a damn shame. To me, Baltimore punts the season. They're going to take their money from revenue sharing. It doesn't make sense, right? Take a gamble for once with these guys. And of all the people who I think have earned it, Trey Mancini earns a postseason push with the Baltimore Orioles. Now he's going to get a postseason guarantee with Houston. Good for him. But Baltimore clears, I don't know what, let's call it $5 million up front today. They've cleared $5 million from their books. Baltimore squeezes in to a three-game wildcard scenario. Win or lose. They do one of two things. They do one, get the young players, the Adley Rushmans of the world, postseason experience. Two, they're in on postseason revenue sharing. They make that money back. Third scenario you look at, Baltimore misses by a couple games. They get none of that. And that's the route they went. That's an issue still in baseball. It's an issue in sports. Owners looking at this as a business, which they have to in some cases, but that's the business of baseball, and it's a damn shame. I figured I'd come on, rant, ramble for about 25 minutes or so, finish the rest of my coffee, enjoy the rest of my coffee, let your ears listen to something a little more soothing. We'll get back on a regular basis as football picks up. We're going to talk about fantasy football. No, we're not because nobody cares about your fantasy football team. No one cares about mine. So please do not tweet at me with your fantasy football problems. I don't care. 
We'll see you all next week, maybe. When we see, I have to travel for some work. I have to build a brand new office. There's going to be some juggling in between, but we'll have things moving forward for Super Bowl season, and I will give you about 14 reasons why the Miami Dolphins will go undefeated and wind up in the Super Bowl. And that's where the fact that this show's public, and I just announced that there are, I don't know, I think some alarming signs within my brain. But I'll try and make it sound rational. Talk to you all soon.